You are listening to Peak Performance Through Medicine and Science, presented by the CU Sports Med and Performance Center. We're here today with Tim Hilden, who is a physical therapist, athletic trainer, and I, I can't remember everything that you are, Tim. Uh, depends upon the day. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm a physical therapist. I'm an athletic trainer. I'm also an exercise physiologist and have a background in uh, biomechanics research as well. Uh, here at the center, I see the standard physical therapy uh, clientele as well as uh, established and run the gait analysis lab where we look at mechanical variables that can influence people's performance as well as their injury potential and what is going wrong and more importantly, what are we going to do about it? How did you get interested in gait analysis? I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating as well. I think it, it's just my, in, my innate interest in human movement, whatever that may be. Uh, my brother is an engineer and designs road systems, and I like to look at a lot of the physics and engineering of the human body. How does it move? How does it move correctly? How does it move problematically? And most importantly, what are we going to do about it? And uh, it's a work in progress. What is correct with human movement? I mean, uh, we're all individuals, so what is the standard, and should all of us meet that? No, there isn't, there isn't a standard in, a, in the terms of uh, you know, right and wrong, black and white, good and bad. What, a better way to look at it is uh, th the perspective of components. So there are different components about how someone may move, and it is how those components go together to say whether it's problematic or not. So you may have someone, you know, these, these newsstand discussions about, oh, uh, rear foot all bad, forefoot all good, shoes are the bane of human evolution, we all got to be barefoot. This, it, it's great when you want to have a polarizing conversation, but it's not necessarily effective when you really want to look at, well, what's going on? You can be internationally competitive and be a rear foot striker, and you'll never hang with those people. They'll drop you in a heartbeat. So it's how it packages with the rest of how the body moves. How well do they dissipate load when they hit the ground? How well do they effectively propulse themselves? And there are certain characteristics of what different parts of your body do that contribute to how effective that may be. And I'm just teeming with questions right now. <laughs> I, I don't know how we're going to keep this to our time limit, but, but who cares? So yeah, we're close and we on. can see you again real Absolutely. soon. <laughs> but... So part of your job then would be finding out about the individual and looking for the most efficient movement for that person, it, correct? It is. And what's interesting is that, uh, yes, never make assumptions that, uh, never make assumptions just based on what you see in the movement pattern, uh, whether it be in this case running that we're talking about or any other movement pattern, throwing, kicking, et cetera. Uh, because what you see may be the result of a few different possible causes, which is why when I do a gait analysis, I'm always looking at the physical characteristics that contribute to the runner that I see in front of me. So do I have someone whose inherent structural alignment is biased so that in their case, abnormal is normal? And if I see in, uh, something out of the norm with the, with the gait pattern that I'm looking at, the running technique I'm looking at, well, maybe that abnormal uh, pattern is exactly what they should be doing, and let me look at how that uh, 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 falls in line with how the rest of their body moves. And so you always look at those physical characteristics that contribute to how they move. Then you look at how they move and say, well, are those congruent? Or no, actually, you look completely normal, and that's not normal because you're not designed to look like that. Maybe you're designed to run like a duck, but your feet point 
in the direction that everybody else does. But the only way to get there is to compromise your hip alignment. Oh, maybe that's why you've got labral problems in your hip or other problems in your knee. And so get a more rich understanding of who they are, how they maybe should look, then see if it's congruent. Now, gait makes me think walking, running. Are we really talking movement patterns with you? Do you? We are. Uh, absolutely. And that's exactly how I like to describe it as movement patterns. And even when I teach this, I, I, that's exactly what I title it is, is uh, in different movement patterns. And when you look across, going back to your question, well, is there one correct way to run or to move in any particular sport? No. Are there certain components of how different parts of the body move that may more often than not be better or better for you? Sure. There are, there are certain components that make hitting a golf ball more effective than not, having better control, uh, running with a, a better engagement of your stride or less injury potential because of how your body doesn't malaligne. Absolutely, uh, uh, those components uh, uh, of movement patterns are important and how you package it together as opposed to 10 other people packaging it together is dependent on a number of variables. There's not this one right or wrong, and that's why it takes a comprehensive approach to looking at all those variables and saying what's right for you. And then, unlike, you know, if medicine does a good job at just listening, which isn't necessarily always the case, and you listen to the richness of the story coming at you, it also has a pattern about what's problematic when is it problematic, under what conditions, et cetera. And that then you fold into your perspective of how they're built, how they move, and what's going wrong. Let's say I'm a triathlete, which does a disservice to all triathletes everywhere. (laughs) So I come to you because I'm noticing a problem with my running or whatever. You fix that. You work with me on that. Right. Would that then make changes to the way I ride my bike or the way I swim? Potentially, depending upon what it is that we're looking at changing. Uh, and so there are some, say, trajectories of how your leg or your arm is moving or the body position with the run, more so the trajectory of, of maybe how your leg moves that could have crossover to uh, uh, your cycling mechanics as well. And it's something that, uh, historically hasn't been looked at as much, uh, on a bike. Uh, the bike fit looks at the mechanical presentation of how aligned or not are you. But we also know that with any movement pattern, you have control over it, good or bad, you have control over it. And so one of the things that we've been doing in more recent years as well, even here in the center is, talking amongst, you know, I sit in the gate lab, and but then I'm talking to the people doing uh, more of the bike fits and saying, well, in the gate, we don't have the ability to dial in three degrees less uh, motion at the knee. I have to actively ask them to do it differently, and there are different strategies to accomplish that. Why can't we do the same thing with cycling? Certainly with the swimming component, you'd have to do the same thing as well. It's perceiving how you move and making a change in that movement pattern. So yes, there's a crossover into cycling where if I clean you up in running, it may have an effect in how you perform on the bike as well. Or I'm thinking too of a quarterback or a pitcher in the throwing motion. Absolutely. I mean, you're looking at the entire body and what is it that will make this person more efficient? And it looks like the throwing motion is great, but 
their lower body is completely correct. messing them up, correct? And those are individuals that may have inherently a great skill set that might not always come to fruition long term because something else takes them out of the game. A distance runner can't tolerate the volume changes that go from a 10K to a half or a full or someone who's trying to make changes from you know, a marathon to being an ultra-distance runner and the volume exploits a predisposition and takes them out. Their engine may be great, that usually it is, uh, and it's whether the chassis can keep up with it or not, and that's a lot of what we're looking at. We're looking at the engine as well. Our whole physiology lab is dedicated to optimizing the engine side of performance, and we're trying to keep the chassis in, intact. Now you've made me start thinking. <laughs> so you have the distance runner or the long-distance cyclist who, I don't maybe they're not good at high-end speed, uh, not a good sprinter. Are there things you can do through gait analysis that could actually help them get quicker? Absolutely. So I have individuals that have come to me and <clears throat> they are not injured. It's not what you would typically expect in, in an environment like ours, which is the injured individuals coming to seek help so they can get back into the game. I have some individuals coming in saying, look, I've been training for the last two to three years. I just cannot change my race pace, uh, regardless of how I try to tune this engine. Is there anything about how I move that's putting a governor on the engine and I just can't break out into that next level of performance? And yes, that, that can happen. And I have individuals that will fly in and we take a look at it. And then again, when, it, when we talk about patterns, as you brought up, and components of patterns, there are some predictable things that they typically will do that impedes their ability to drive their gait as effectively as possible, and that's putting the governor on the engine. You, ca you cap their race time because they can't tap into their reserve, extra reserves of performance ability. And so you make this change in their gait, and um, it opens them up to being able to go out and uh, elevate their game to a new level. Sounds to me like if you're rehabbing from an injury incorrectly, you actually might be able to help. Yeah, and, and we look at that, absolutely. But and, them. and that is happening every single day across the clinic uh, with all the phys physical therapists here, and a lot of them have their own specialties. We have a you know, woman that uh, played on the pro tennis tour and uh, played in Wimbledon, and she will, she will have a, a very unique, obviously ex excelling set of skills to look at that tennis individual and say, well, gosh, is your <laughs> lumbar, restricted lumbar movement actually affecting your serve? Uh, what about the individuals on the bike? What about the runners? What about the throwing athlete? When we, we have pitchers throwing in the biomechanics lab looking at exactly what you're alluding to. Maybe the shoulder mobility is fine, but their amount of rotation or their, their wind-up or their delivery, their hip mo moment, movement is problematic, and it puts more load on the shoulder or the elbow. And so you look more comprehensively at the individual and say, there are other components influencing your pattern, which either compromises performance or compromises your injury potential. Either one of those not acceptable. How many people are successful in spite of themselves? Ah, uh, tremendous. I mean, you can look across all of sport, regardless of which sport it is, and you see great examples of people that are good despite themselves. Uh, you know, again, you look at golf and see someone like Chichi Rodriguez and go, oh my gosh, he was phenomenal, yet I wouldn't emulate him. You look at, uh, the, there are uh, some of the runners that I'll deal with, uh, some of the well-known Kenyans who uh, are actually 
beautiful when they run, but one of them in particular I can think of that um, his running style was beating up his chassis, yet his engine was phenomenal. And he did it for years until his chassis started breaking down because of it. And then you, we went in to try to change how he moved to stop breaking down the chassis so that beautiful engine could uh, thrive and do what it wants to do. So sometimes performance is addressed by not having people getting taken out of the game. Everybody thinks about performance being a better way of training, optimizing the engine. Well, sometimes optimizing the engine is not hobbling it with injury and being taken out of training to recover and then always being a step behind your competition. And at that elite level, you can't be a fraction off your competition or you're way off your game. How much do you work with coaches? Um, seems like that would be invaluable for a coach to have some absolutely. of your... Absolutely. And, and, and it's, the answer to that is not often enough. Uh, over the years, it's varied quite a bit. Uh, sometimes uh, working with coaches regularly, other times a real drought periods. And, and it's unfortunate because I think, um, again, there's a divide. So medicine deals with that athlete trying to deal with the problems. Coaches deal with that athlete from a technique or a training program perspective trying to help that athlete. And what should happen, and it doesn't, is medicine and coaches talking more to each other because both sides of that relationship can learn from each other. Neither side maybe feels they're going to learn from each other, but optimally, both sides absolutely can learn from each other uh, uh, for the benefit of the individual they're both working for, which is the athlete. thinking here is... I can't believe you don't work with coaches more because I would think that a coach could possibly be having their athlete do some drills that maybe the that it could be completely wrong for them because they're not efficient at that type of drill. Right. Making sense? We we believe the same thing. And we're actually now that we're we're in this new facility and uh, starting as this uh, a new name to us. Again, we're still Boulder Center for Sports Medicine. There's still the CU Orthopedic Ducks, and now we're coming together and having this new entity and, and a new energy into it where we w- we're wanting to reach out and reestablish relationships with the, with the coaches in the area. Uh, we're not competing with them to take their athletes. We want to collaborate to do a greater benefit for their athletes. And that is a work in progress right now, and we're taking the onus saying, Look, uh, maybe we've contributed to the breakdown of that over time where athletes liked what they heard from us and we absorbed them for, for doing, setting up training programs and we're making a very concerted effort to collaborate and not let any of that transfer uh, happen. Uh, so that we don't feel like, that coaches don't feel like we're going to inherit their people and take them over. No, we want to collaborate, and and uh, it's a great opportunity for us to see some things maybe, and and then talk to the coaches that they can then be so much more uh, effective than we may be in implementing it because they see them all the time. They can reinforce those patterns for the good and optimize the benefit the person can get out of that. So yes, we're. 100% committed to developing and nurturing those relationships all for that benefit of that athlete. So Tim, we've been talking about athletes. I would think that gait analysis would benefit 
anybody. I mean, what if you were 52 years old? And, uh, no, absolutely. And, and it's one of those misperceptions uh, for years. I know when we first started as a Boulder Center for Sports Medicine, it was that location where all those elite athletes go. Well, fine. We have some great, sexy journey jerseys up along the wall, but that's not the majority of who we see. Our day-in and day-out clientele is all of us Joe and Jane front range and, and uh, multi-state range individuals here. That's who we see the most of. The other people get the attention uh, uh, in the media, but the average individual, us being all of us being average, is who we see. And absolutely, it does, you don't need to be considered elite, however that's defined, to make use of uh, uh, get analysis or, or coaching services or it, uh, uh, specialty physicians or therapists dealing with your problems um, in order to access them, we have always uh, uh, supported that everybody should have access to that, regardless of how you define athlete or active. If you're active, you're an athlete. That's been the old mantra for the Boulder Center for Sports Medicine all these years, and it's exactly what we continue to do in our new location as well. So why would I want to come to see you because I've got a certain pain in my walk because it's hard for me to walk? Yeah, pain drives most of what we see. Uh, you know, pain's a great motivator uh, for the good or the bad. And uh, we will see individuals coming to us because what they love to do is being impeded by how they feel. And we try to change how they feel so they can go back out and enjoy the things that they like to do. Uh, performance is whether something that we walking do, around the oh, block. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and yeah, whether it's pushing a baby stroller, whether it's taking a, a walk along uh, the creek path, whether it's training for the next Xterra race, it doesn't matter what it is. If your day-to-day activities that you really enjoy to do are being impeded because of how you feel, then you should look into, is there something that can be done about it? Instead of just taking the, the old approach of, well, you know, if it hurts, don't do it. <laughs> that, that's, not exactly how we operate around here. If it hurts, well, let's figure out why. And can we change how you do it so that you can be successful and have fun? How has that attitude changed? I remember docking, uh, speaking with Dr. <clears throat> Milan about diabetes patients, and he said, you know, for the longest time, they were told, oh, don't exercise. Right. Which is now found to be probably one of the best things they can do. Completely. And, uh, yeah, when did that change, it's, that shift it's in attitude? Been a, become, it, yeah, it's, I think it's a, it, it has shifted as generations have shifted it, uh, and generations of thought. So as we develop more understanding of uh, uh, what staying active means or even in an injury, say you're talking about the old school degenerative knee, wear and tear, my knee's wearing out. Well, they're not all defined by the same injury, nor the same limitations and the same expectations. So you take a look at that. Instead of just taking, telling the person, well, you hurt when you do whatever activity you love to do, therefore don't do, we look to say, again, well, why? We'll change the movement pattern of why. If your thumb hurts because you keep hitting it with a hammer, you can ice it all you want, but let's actually stop hitting it with a hammer. And maybe the thumb goes back to enjoying day-to-day life just fine. Same thing with those knees. Maybe we just teach you how to do your activity a little bit differently. Maybe we look at it and say, ah, you, you actually have this particular structure injured in your knee, but there's something we can do to try to help that tolerate load better, whether it be a soft tissue like a, a tendon or a joint structure. There are more options available uh, even in a degenerative knee, well, gosh, maybe we do visco supplementation, and that ends up being uh, something that gives you uh, uh, 
50% improvement in your symptoms and it opens the door of the activities that you get to participate in. So someone calls, they want to <clears throat> set up a gait analysis appointment yes. with you. What do they go through? What happens? They, what they'll do is they'll come in and we go through, a, again, a physical evaluation saying what are those physical components that contribute to the way in which you move. Once we get a good understanding of how they're designed, then we go uh, acquire video footage of them. Uh, and then we sit down and look at the video footage, and as, as I analyze it, uh, I'm talking through it with them uh, as I go through. What am I looking at? Why am I looking at it? How do you stack up against what I expect? What does that mean? What are we going to do about it? And I walk through that, that whole process with them, looking at them from head to toe, from the back, from the side. Once we get an understanding of whether it's problematic, in some cases, it isn't how they move. It's some other injury that sidelined them, but you're moving fine let's not change it other times no it's problematic and let's go ahead and change how you move which isn't just identifying that it's wrong and telling them to do something different it's telling them how to do something different uh it's the it's changing the default way in which you move which you know, great examples of that out on the golf course you go to the driving range and you just you may see a lot of people getting really good at being bad uh, they just ingrain what they do, but they don't necessarily change what they do. Some people also will say, well, I've, I've tried that particular technique of doing whatever sport you're asking me about, but it didn't work for me. I never make the assumption that that change actually occurred because I have great examples of people that, uh, oh, that change I asked them to do, it's so simple, I don't want to go through this learning process that you're telling me, I'm just going to go make the change cold turkey. And very predictably, uh, what feels weird or novel now doesn't feel so novel in about two weeks, and unknowingly they drift back to what they're really good at, which happens to be the old style. But unknowingly, they don't know that they went back. They still think they're doing part of the new, even though they aren't. Four weeks, it's not working. Five weeks, it's not working. They call in the clinic. We get them back in, and I'll videotape them, and I can split-screen them and look at now versus before, and they'll be, they will almost always say, I feel about 50% different, but I, uh, I'm not quite sure. And they're smack dab on the original footage. They haven't changed at all, even though they perceive to have made a 50% change. Now, on the flip side, I've had people that have use the <clears throat> the neuromotor relearning or these patterns of how do you how do you adopt a new default pattern and whatever it is you're asking to change and there's a more effective way to do that and when they go through that process i've gathered uh, years ago i started gathering data at nine months and a year and a half year and a half out to say well is the assumption that it actually changed correct or is it just assumption in reality they went back to their old style no, I videotaped them, and again, I put their footage split screen side by side with the corrected version from the original day, and they were dead on. And those people will always say, I don't really remember what you asked me to do, but take a look and tell me. Uh, this is what I'm doing, whatever it is, and, and it's just their default. They don't think about it anymore. Uh, and yes, you can change a person's default way of moving. Coaching's been doing it for years, and medicine, sports medicine like this should be, has been as well, but the way in which you do it is, is as or more important than what you're actually asking them to do. Because if they don't do it, again, they're just getting good at being bad.
Well, Tim, we're about out of time. It's been fantastic getting to visit with you. Really appreciate your time today. I appreciate being here. Thanks for giving me the chance. You've been listening to Peak Performance Through Medicine and Science, presented by the CU Sports Med and Performance Center. Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. I'm Ned Fulmer. I'm Ariel. We're from the Try Guys, and we have a new podcast called Baby Steps. It's an irreverent parenting podcast because parenting is not perfect. We just had a newborn, baby Finn. I got pooped on. Ariel has pink eye. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. We talk to some experts. We even bring you 4 a.m. thoughts from our garden. Oh my gosh, it's literally 4 a.m. Just to go back here, I thought I got poop in my eye. Yeah. And that causes pink eye. Parenting is a mess. We're a mess. You're a mess. Join us every Sunday. Listen to Baby Steps on ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.